Blog Talk Radio. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. is January Jones. She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Hello, and welcome to our podcast today. I'm January Jones, and I'm so happy you're here to join us. Now for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Would you like to learn or hear about what it's like to be an internationally known speaker during a pandemic? (laughs) Tell me, do you ever wonder what it takes to be an author? Do you ever wonder how someone could write eight books? Well, I do. (laughs) Can you imagine what it would be like to work at the Wall Street Journal? Yes, the Wall Street Journal. Could you ever imagine what it would be like to be an uncle to 30-some-plus nephews and nieces all at one time? Now would you like to meet someone who has walked the walk, and now he is going to talk the talk with us. If you can answer yes or maybe to any of the questions I've asked, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones sharing success stories today. So now it's time to sit back and relax, go get some cheese and crackers, get a glass of wine, so you can now join me in the No Wine Zone. Now let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. He is an uncle, poet, and Wall Street Journal veteran who believes success is about confidence and listening He is the master of listening. He enjoys the world through an uncle's perspective. He uses the right blend of humor, corporate, and life experience to encourage people to enjoy responsibility for their personal and professional development throughout the world. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show today again, Sporty King. Hi, Sporty. Hey, January, and hey, everybody. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you back with us today. 
Forty was my very first guest when I started doing the televised podcast, and it was a very popular show. Lots of downloads, Forty. People like you. Amen. <laughs> so let's briefly just uh, talk a little bit about what the pandemic has been like for uh, someone who has a professional as an international keynote speaker. How mm. has that affected you? You know what? It, it affected me in a great way, but consistent with what I believe, I affected it. See, I don't let things affect me. I affect things. Okay. And, 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 yeah, so, you know, because things happen. Stuff happens. So <laughs> you can either sit there and let it, you know, impact you or you can impact it. And so um, uh, it, it, was, it was great for me because what it made me do is say, okay, you know, here's a chance. To, you know, I say you either preach what you practice or you practice what you preach. And, and so here's a chance just like you with the no wine zone. And by the way, I, I got to throw this in because I love it how you call it the 11th commandment, thou shalt not wine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, I'm so religious. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's part of our connection because when I was back, gosh, in my 20s, we did um, a, a fashion show and with my two, two of my friends, and we called ourselves the, <laughs> the Last Commandment. <laughs> Thou shalt enjoy. <laughs> hey, you know, now you're giving me an idea for another book. You know, we should really, we should think about that. Maybe we could do a book together. Right. And, and Daniel, that's how easy it happens. Yeah, I like the last commandment. You know, mm-hmm. let's, let's put that on the back burner, and we'll think about it. And, you know, and so, just with that, like I said, I instantly said, okay, you know, like you would do, not thou shall not want it, thou shall enjoy. You are now in position. Uh-huh. to ha- a new position to help people. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was how I responded. Yeah. And before we went on the air, we were talking briefly about how the pandemic, although it started out as such a, a tragic situation for so many people, well, actually for the whole world, but how so many positive things have come from it. And people have been forced to stretch themselves and do things they probably thought they never could do before. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's also made people appreciate other people's gifts because sometimes we take uh, people for granted. And, you know, you, you, saw, you saw the rise of people talking about essential workers. Yeah. You, you saw it suddenly, yeah, people happy to say thank you to the cashier yeah. at, at Walmart or, or something wow. or, yeah. or the greeters. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Yes, and thank you for your service. The military, as people start getting a different appreciation, and I think maybe because it, it, it allowed them to slow down mm-hmm. and see what other people were doing. Because, yeah, I know what I'm doing, but yes. what's everybody else doing? Well, oh, mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. so I, I think that was a part of it. Yeah, and you know the thing that I was so impressed with at the beginning is when everyone at 7 p.m. would go out on their porches and they'd all bring bring their pots and pans, and it was really kind of neat the way it just united the whole country, and it was like, hey, we're all on the same team. We're all going to get through this together. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was was great. I like that. 
In fact, one of the um, pictures I use in my slides when I when I do PowerPoint presentations mm-hmm. is of a little girl. She looks like she's about three or four years old, sitting oh. on a big outdoor swing, and she's laughing. And she but she's got her hands covering her mouth because she's like cracking up laughing. And mm-hmm. and the caption is, "We all smile in the same language." Oh wow. <laughs> That, that's, that's really powerful. I like that very much. You know, some of our listeners today or watchers, whatever, they probably haven't met you before. So let's briefly just go over your history, uh, how you started out at your Catholic school and Wall Street Journal. Tell us a little bit about your beginnings. Yeah, uh, and, and and I that's interesting because I've never called it a Catholic school <laughs> because it, <laughs> Well, because we called it a Jesuit school, and a Jesuit is a part of a Catholic, uh, of the Catholic faith. I actually won a scholarship to attend an all-boys Jesuit prep school in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, and, um, and that was, to me, when I look back, because wisdom being in retrospect, which is another thing I think a lot of people did, is stop and look back at their life and, and change their priorities, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I see the change, the difference, and, and the impact that that had on my life of what direction I needed to be going in because I thought I knew where I was going, but how often do we find out that, oh, you know what, you need to be going this way. Yeah. 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 And so, but it was because of that education that I think it really helped me because um, uh, I went from there, I was not, successful or, or, you know, according to the public in, in college. I lasted three semesters in college. As, <laughs> as I used to tell people, I majored in social life. <laughs> I did too. I did too. Yeah, it's a three-semester a three curriculum. Does that come with a degree? I did four. I'm much further ahead than you. And, and, you know, it's interesting when you talk about Catholic and Jesuit. Well, I mean, the, the, the reality is you don't get more Catholic than Jesuit. I know. <laughs> Isn't that so? And I went to a Jesuit college, and, went, and it's an incredible education. And how lucky were you to have that experience? Yes, yes. And see that, and be, because what, one of the things that the Jesuits specialize in is language and, and, and teaching uh, literacy. And that ended up being the, the boy to my career in the long run because I started writing poetry um, based on homesickness at the school. Oh. And that turned out to be my gift that I later turned it into a business. Oh, my gosh. So you were writing poetry that young. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes. you, weren't always, you weren't always just socializing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, what, you know what I did in college with my poetry? I, I socialized with my poetry. I used to write pe- poems for people if they were having a bad day. I, I had one nice little collection called um, uh, um, Poverty Stricken Valentine's Day Cards. So you know, anybody who didn't happen to have a Valentine's, I wrote them a poem, both male and female. <laughs> I wrote them a poem for Valentine's Day. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break now and hear about one of my books. 
And when we come back, I want to talk to you, Sporty, about what you used to do at the Wall Street Journal for the Christmas party. We'll be right back. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Whine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Whine at Amazon.com. Welcome back to the No Wine Zone with my dear friend Sporty King. And he is definitely not a whiner because, <laughs> because I don't allow it. And plus, he is truly, truly a winner. You know, Ooh, very good. Yeah. Before we go on, Sporty, could you please share with our listeners your contact information, your website, and anything you'd like to promote now? Sure. It's uh, uh, my website is sportyking.com. And from there, you could connect to everything I do. I do um, broadcasts, live broadcasts on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and they also on my site. So um, that that's really the hub. And from there, you you'd get my email address, sporty at sportyking.com. So everything is pretty much there. Thank yeah. you. And, you know, if you go to Sporty's uh, website, you'll be able to – and purchase all of his eight books, which we're going to talk about later in the show. But Sporty, let's talk. I'd love to share that great story about when you were at the Wall Street Journal and how your Christmas poem uh, exploded. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and it takes us right back to your initial question about how the pandemic impacted me. And I said, I impact rather than be impacted. I started the Wall Street Journal after leaving college as a messenger. As so someone would say at the bottom of the pole, the totem pole, right? Mm-hmm. But what I, and I started in January, <laughs> not January Jones, but in <laughs> January of 1975. <laughs> and that December of 1975, we had 13 people in my department. And oh. so what I decided to do was for the Christmas poem, I mean, for the Christmas party, uh-huh. I decided to write a tribute poem that got all 13 people's names into the poem. Oh, so great. I said a little something about their unique personality. So if had I had you been in that department, I would have said something like, January is known for not wanting to whine, but wanting to win or drink her favorite wine. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm all in for that one. <laughs> and, and so I, that's what I did, and everybody loved it, and then everybody got a copy. And 
people liked it so much that the next the next year, uh, you know, they, they they happened to invite the incoming president of Dow Jones. Dow Jones owns the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> and so yeah, he uh, and and a great friend of mine. I don't mind saying his name, Peter Kahn. Uh, was a wonderful um, president, and he was—he's a Pulitzer Prize winner for his reporting on the Vietnam War. Oh my, yeah. And so he was our special guest. Mm-hmm. And after I read the poem, he says to me, "That was great. Could I have a copy?" I'm like, "Can you have a copy?" <laughs> oh gosh, how would I? Do? <laughs> and and then it just built from there though, and um, every year. The party got larger because more departments wanted to be a part of the poem. So, <laughs> so it went from the 13 people. And so I ended up doing this for 10 years because I ended up getting uh, transferred from New York to Washington, D.C. But I did it for 10 years, and the poem went from those 13 people in my department to 70 people across five departments. <laughs> So, so what did you start working on it in July? <laughs> I, I, yes. No, I started much earlier than that. The, the, and the joke is uh, even better is that uh, one. I remember one year in October, uh, I was doing something, and um, uh, I, I was actually working on the poem. And somebody asked me to do something work related. And I said, "Oh, I'm working on the poem." They said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Well, at least you had your priorities. <laughs> yeah, I was putting my my um, uh, social my my social degree into 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 operation. <laughs> well, you know, for most people, working at the Wall Street Journal will be the end all, the do all, probably the biggest achievement of their life. So, tell us how what prompted you to leave the Wall Street Journal? What prompted you? It was it was my time. I'm not one of those people that says, "Oh man, I you know corporate America sucks." I didn't whine. You know, it wasn't. I got to get out of here. I love my corporate America experience. I still got wonderful friends at the Wall Street Journal. It was it was just time where I, I had grown. Actually, over my 18 years at the Wall Street Journal, I actually grew from being a messenger and through seven promotions and eight job titles. Uh, when when I actually retired in 1994, I was a regional advertising manager. Well, you had worked right mm-hmm. up the ladder. Yeah, yeah and, and those things, uh, and I have to say, a lot of it was had to do with being an internal candidate. Uh, I, my joke was always uh, that uh, out of my eight titles, um, I only qualified for two. They... <laughs> Yeah, and those but would be the messenger. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. I like that. And and, and actually, my um uh went to my fourth position, which was taking ads by phone and classified because I was a great type. We you know we used to take phone dictations and we had to type the ads in as people dictated to us by phone. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but the other ones, and, and I don't say that I was incompetent, but what I'm saying is me versus an outside candidate, you know, and this is something people should recognize in regular life, and, and that is I had the inside track. So maybe what they posted as here are the job requirements, 
I knew what it really took to do that job. Uh-huh. And so, therefore, I could channel my interview and, and my talents to, oh, well, here's, I've seen what so-and-so is doing, and so I can tell them, well, here's what I would do, whereas someone from the outside would have a theory of what it would take to do that job. Mm-hmm. And, therefore, that actually made me the stronger candidate. So, you know, if sometimes you have to realize that those of you who have, and we won't even put you in a wine zone, it's legitimate when someone feels down about not getting a job or, you know, or feeling they didn't do well in an interview. Sometimes it really is a case of, you know what, this wasn't for you. And instead of getting down, you know, what did I do wrong? You may have done nothing wrong. There was a, it's, it's called, there was a better candidate, a candidate who met our requirements better. Yeah. And that's something that you should feel good about rather than be down on yourself about not getting a position. Yeah, that's, that's very positive advice, and it's very true. Now, you went on to uh, international acclaim as a Toastmaster speaker. While you were at the Wall Street Journal, were you going to Toastmaster meetings, or did it coincide, or did it come after? It came after, and, uh, and it was in, uh, actually backtracked, too. Because what happened is one of my promotion, when I got transferred, uh, like I said, I started out with the um, phone dictation, that was in sales. Uh-huh. And, and so my last 12 years at Wall Street Journal were all sales-related positions. Uh-huh. So that when I left in 94, I actually started my mo- uh, motivational speaking business in 95. And so my background in sales is what helped me, and, and presentation is what helped me in my speaking business. Uh, and think about it, those Christmas poems that I had to get up in front of everybody and read, you know, so that, that you know, contributed to my comfort of, of public speaking before a crowd. And it, and it was a pressure crowd, especially at the beginning, you know. And, yeah. and like I said, when these other departments joined, we had some high-level people in there. <laughs> so... So, so that's uh, so. It was actually not until I had left the journal that I joined Toastmasters. Okay, yeah. And as you know, we both know. Uh, I think public speaking is probably one of the biggest challenges. Everyone, you know, that and doing a eulogy. I think a eulogy is even tougher than <laughs> public speaking. But you got into Toastmasters International and you soared. And you had so much help and support from the other people there. Tell us about that experience. It was um, it, it, I, I, my two favorite mentors, because we've all got a million mentors in our lives. Sometimes we don't get to acknowledge them. Right. But it was a couple, uh, Robert, rest in peace, and Randy Gadalia. Randy was is his wife. And uh, Randy was actually a friend of mine from my messenger days at the Wall Street Journal. And yes, and so when we, you know, uh, once I stopped being a messenger, I used to go to her ad agency that she worked at, and that's how I would see her and we would talk. And then one day when I had totally left New York and I was back visiting, we ran into one another on the subway and and it was like, hey, and, and oh, is that what you're doing? And she had, meanwhile, uh, left the advertising agency business uh, where she was working and had started her own. And, and then her and her husband went into the National Speakers Association. So, so 
so when I left um, Wall Street Journal and I started uh, my speaking business, they became my first mentors and, mm-hmm. and made a world of difference because what they did first was coach me. Uh, in, in 1996, I went to the Wall Street, I mean, to the uh, Toastmasters International World Championship of Public Speaking, and I finished as one of the top nine speakers in the world. Mm-hmm. And that was due to their coaching and friendship and mentorship that I got that far. And um, that's something that I'll never forget them for. And, uh, and right now, uh, I want to say a prayer for Randy as, you know, she's going through some um, physical uh, ailments right now. Robert died, I think, two years ago. So, uh, but those, they, those were two, two people that had a huge impact on my life. Yeah. I've got their picture right there on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it nice to be able to publicly speak up about the people that have helped you so much? Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, right now, we're going to take a break. And for my listeners, would you like to hear about who killed Kennedy? Who do you think had the money, the motive, and the means to do it? Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. Welcome back with my dear friend, Sporty Kings. I, I really, during this show, I want to talk about your books. But before we do that, could you briefly just touch about the incredible and fulfilling experience you're having working with the military families in our country and you're working with them not in combat but you're working with them coming back before and after and you're working with them helping them become better civilians yes thank you uh because as it turns it's a program called the yellow ribbon reintegration program mm-hmm. uh, so i'm subcontracted on that and what we have is uh, we, we deal with service and family members before they deploy or after they come back. And it's all, there's, there are weekend events going on all around the country in multiple locations every single weekend wow. supporting our military, especially supporting the families. So, so as you say, you know, as a lot of people say, you know, well, let's pray for our military. I want you to add, let's pray for our military families. Yeah. Because yeah. our, our service members, think about it, what they get to do is they get to serve with like-minded individuals in a specific spot 
at, uh, with a, a targeted mission of mm-hmm. what they need to accomplish. The family members, they, they don't, you know, no one on the block knows that they, they have a missing family member or what they're going through. Yeah. So yeah. very important to pray for the families of our service members and, and give thanks to them. So that, that's what I, that's why when I, because I don't have a military background, when I first got chosen to be on the, the um, contract team, I was intimidated. I was like, oh, God, what am I going to say to soldiers you know, and airmen and sailors? I don't know that stuff. And when I went to the training and I watched, because it was on the job training and, you know, watching the event, and I looked, I said, wow, I don't have to train them to be better soldiers and airmen and sailors and Marines. I have to help them become better people, better neighbors, better uh, spouses, better um, you know, uh, friends, that's what I need to do. Better listeners, which is the number one communication skill. And so I'm like, I can do that. Yeah. And, um, and so when I, when I saw it, that that was what my real calling was, what my, re- I remember my assignment, <laughs> that was what my assignment was. It was a lot easier. And I've been doing it now for 11 years and I have such an appreciation I don't say strictly to them, and I do thank you all for saying thank you for your service, but I always add to them, thank you for answering the call. Yes. Because I'm calling on their lives as military families. Yes. Well, as you know, Sporty, my husband, Lee, he's a veteran, and Mm -hmm. uh, he came back from Vietnam with uh, two Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star. And at this point in his life, he's 100% disabled. And uh, he served his country. And when we go out everywhere, people will come up and thank him for his service. But, you know, on the flip side, when I'm thanking someone for their service, I always try to look at their wife and their kids. (laughs) And I say, thank you for your service. (laughs) Right. As you know, as you know, the families, they're, you know, they're a big, big part of our effort to have a strong military and a military with confidence. And uh, sometimes the families get ignored or neglected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it happens. Sadly. Yeah, the support is so important. So please continue to support your uh, neighbors and friends who are members of military families. And I think that uh, my little tip for you, the biggest support you can offer is to listen. Yeah. You know, oh, right. yeah. And now you're hearing that directly from the master of listening. <laughs> Everything is about listening. Yeah. Right. So when he speaks, I always listen. <laughs> I have no choice. Thank you. So right now, Sporty, let's talk about these eight books because I know I've only written six, and I appreciate how hard it is to write a book and to get it published and put it out there. It's like putting your child into mm-hmm. kindergarten, you know, it's so scary. Now, what was the first book you wrote? The first book talking about listening, it was called, I found out I'm dying. Okay. A, a celebration of life. Uh-huh. And, and part of and it's a book of poetry, actually, but okay. or I, as I call it, it's a storyline in poetry, because uh-huh. what I do is I don't just put the poems in there. I put commercials in between groups of poems that this is how you use this poem. This is why okay. I wrote this poem, okay. so that people can 
understand because sometimes people, you know, poetry is nebulous. Somebody, oh, I don't, I don't get where they're coming from. And mm-hmm. I think I've always heard that is the biggest whine against poetry. <laughs> and so I said, well, let's help people understand where the poet. And, and you know what? Now this is one of my wines, by the way. Oh. But uh, <laughs> this is this no. is good. This is good wine. I always thought it was so unfair that the English teacher gets the final word on what the poet was saying, you know, because yeah. think about, you know, the, 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 the students are saying, well, I think he's saying this. I think she's saying that. And so the students are going, you know, everybody's got a different interpretation. And then the teacher gets to say, no, Oh, you got that wrong on the test. Here's what he or she was saying. Okay. When sometimes it was what that whatever you got from the poem yeah, to me yeah. is yeah, it's what the poet was saying. Yeah, yeah. Whatever <laughs> you can get from it and take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. As a poet, you. I'm sorry. I, I, said, I, love, I love your poetry, and and as you know, I'm addicted to alliteration, and mm-hmm. so. <laughs> It's so fun to talk to you about these kind of things. And as far as writing poetry, you started doing that when you were in school. And so you've done it your whole life, right? Yes. Yeah. Since 14. Right. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm banking on 67 coming around this August. I'm never afraid to talk about my age because, you know, I truly believe, you know, somebody didn't wake up this morning. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, that's also what the book is about. See, Sometimes we get caught in the headline. See, the headline is, I found out I'm dying, colon, a celebration of life. We have to look at the subtitles in life because I I, I found out I'm dying is strictly saying that physically one day I won't be here. And mm-hmm. so I recognize that. That's that's yeah. not that's not a bad deal. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, one day I'm gonna die. So what? Well, yeah. let me celebrate life while I'm here. Yeah. Because one day I won't be. Yeah, and that's the reality we're all faced with at all different yeah. stages and ages. But then you did you follow it up with uh I found out I'm living. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I found out I'm living an affirmation. An affirmation of life. <laughs> I thought this might be your college poems. <laughs> no. Well, some of the poems, a couple of few of the poems that I wrote in college back in my teens were actually in the first book, and I found okay. out I'm dying. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. So mm-hmm. what did you follow up with I'm living? What was the answer there? After the, the reason that living was the, I found out I'm dying is a celebration. It's the physical self. Living is an affirmation of the spiritual self. Okay. okay. And so that's that. what that collection of poetry about. And then after that, I wrote one called, Do You Have Any Idea How Fine You Are? Oh, I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> A poetic tribute to God's greatest gift to and source of mankind, women. Women. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You were ahead of liberation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I do have an idea how fine I am, but I know a lot of women are very insecure about that, aren't sure. they? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a very difficult yeah. thing for some women to. Yeah, and, and in fact, the, the, the weight loss 
and um, fitness industry is booming in our times because of, you know, uh, yeah. you know, talking about people's weight and, and what they need to do to get in shape. And, and so it, it plants a seed of insecurity, and then we've got the, got the cure. So you've got to really pay attention to the advertising. Yeah, and it and it unfortunately reaches a lot of young people, yeah. young people who are just starting out and don't have the confidence, you know, that you get after sixty, seventy years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It, it's a, a a big message to help people feel better about themselves, and that that goes for men and women too. It's yeah. not just a woman thing. No, it's I not. Know I know you're an equal sexual <laughs> appreciator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I got a lot of brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews. And, and, then, and then the next book you walked us right into it, so I'll jump right there quickly, is because it also, it's not just an age thing. How no. important is it to have it for young people? And so those first three books were poetry. Mm-hmm. Then I wrote a quick one called how to, how to be ugly. <gasps> okay. That's... That might not have been next. That might have been my fifth one, right? Did well, I miss the count? Uh, I think it's, you're, in the, you're in the ballpark. But okay. you know what? I'm going to take a break for one of the commercials about my book, but okay. how to be ugly. I, we've got to talk about that. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> right now, we're going to talk about some priceless personalities who have been guests on my show through the years. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? Someone who has touched your heart and soul? People who have faced difficult problems? People who have struggled to find solutions? People who fearlessly shared their stories? People who have not only informed you, but inspired you? People who have priceless personalities? I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories. And it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Attention all listeners, Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones, Volume 2 is now available at Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle editions. You'll be able to meet 10 amazing people who will be sharing their own personal stories with all their struggles, successes, and solutions sprinkled with lots of humor and hope. Priceless Personalities features a teenager who becomes one of the famous Supremes from Motown, a nurse who has a humorist helps people to heal, an inspiring laughter yoga instructor, a mother dealing with the loss of a child, an incredible motivational speaker, a woman who married five times, a gifted paranormal nurse, a wise economist, a funny female humorist, along with an older man sharing his sweet childhood in the deep south. 
January's guests are all amazing and amusing. You will never forget meeting them. Go to Amazon.com for your own priceless experience. Welcome back with one of my very, very favorite priceless personalities. <laughs> who is definitely featured in my book. You'll love the chapter that we wrote together, performed together, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, we have great memories together, don't we? Yes, and I was mem- having memories looking at some of those other faces that I do know. Oh, yeah, they're all, yeah, you, you know most of them, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, let's go back to How to Be Ugly, and Clayton, and that was the, one of the first speeches I, I ever heard you give. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the AATH uh, convention in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. where I met you. And talk about How to Be Ugly. Yeah, and, and that's why I said, I'm sure I went out of sequence, but that was, that turned into a book uh, where I, I took the speech and turned it into a quick little workbook uh-huh. where, it, where it explained it. And um, ugly is it's taking negatives and turning them into positives. So ugly is unique, gifted, lovable you. So, and isn't that the speech you did for uh, a Toastmasters? Yes. Uh, uh, no, no, no. When I went to the world championship, I did, um, I found out I'm dying. Oh, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, but but ugly took me to the t- <laughs> yeah. There there are six levels to get to the world championship, yeah. and so level five I use how to be ugly, and that that was the the um, regional, and there are five regions. There were uh, nine regions in the world, yeah. and so that took me to the world championship. And you have to switch speeches, okay. and that's when I switched to how I found out I'm dying. Yeah. And, uh, and finishes one of the top nine. So, yeah, Ugly was definitely in there. Yeah, well, that's when I fell in love with you when I heard you do How to Be Ugly. And, of course, you know, because of our illiterate addiction, it was <laughs> it really appealed to me. And yeah. you've, had, you've had a good response to that, haven't you? I have. In fact, it became my pet charity uh, oh. because I co-founded it. You know, a friend of mine heard the speech, and she said, I love that speech. I would love to make a, um, a, a um, uh, what do you call it? like a crusade out of it. She made oh. a company out of it, and it's called HeyUgly.org. Oh, my gosh. How right. exciting is that? Yeah, so we have the website on that. It's, it's www.HeyUgly.org, and it's a website for um, teens and tweens who are dealing with self-esteem. Uh, well, not they don't have to be dealing with self-esteem issues, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a self-esteem site to help them with uh, self-esteem oh. issues. And, and it connects, again, to what you said earlier. The site is for teens, and tweens, by the way, are you know, up to age 12. You don't become yeah. a teen to 13. Uh-huh. And, yeah. But I also always recommend that adults check it out, too, mm-hmm. because some of the principles that we use with teenagers and with kids apply to adults, as well as you can get some tips that you might use for parenting yeah. your, your children. Yeah. So um, heyugly.org, and, and they've got a, a radio show, and uh, yeah, it, it's just a great site. I really love working with them. And, you know, it's something I recommend for grandparents, where because uh, you're the one who is, you're dealing with teens and tweens who are your grandchildren, and what a wonderful way to influence them and share things with them. Um, Okay, so how to be ugly, my very favorite. 
it's like which child is your favorite it's you know i love them all but that one really gets to me um what did you write after that one i think i went to um affirmations oh okay i think i did (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna question (laughs) in fact we we won't worry about the order because they're, they're in groups which is pretty much why i went talk about ugly the first three were poetry first three were poetry then there was that speech but then uh i i did um two books that had affirmations in them okay okay, okay. and so yeah. one one was called affirmations and just like ugly is an actually an uh, uh an acronym uh-huh. what i say i call affirmations take acronyms and turn it into affirmations Okay. So instead of just, you know, putting a word for each letter of the word, I make it an affirmation. So you say ugly, unique, gifted, lovable you, you know, um, faith, feeling as if there's hope, you know, focus, finding ourselves creates unlimited success. So So it gives the word meaning. And so I've got over 204 affirmations. In, in that book <laughs> oh my gosh you know i don't unfortunately that's not in my library but i'm ordering it because okay. i can use any affirmation i can get and if it's alliterative you know i'm hooked on it <laughs> exactly and that's another good use for it. people can use it to to put a caption to something that they're doing mm-hmm. you know so yeah. well you know meeting you has been wonderful because uh you have such a gift and such a love for words and helping them m- give meaning to people's lives. And I'm sure some people listening to us would think, oh, well, how could he leave the Wall Street Journal? Well, guess what? This is why he did it. He had bigger and better and more important things to do with his life. And his message to all of us is that we can do that too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful. Good work, buddy. Uh, okay. So well, after affirmations, what came next? Uh, it doesn't uh, have to order, but just whatever you yes. can remember. Starting today was uh, was, the, was the other book of affirmations, but if they were, I used to be on TV, on WGN. They had a, a syndicated show, a nationally syndicated show, um, and I did the inspirational message every week. So I took those inspirational messages and put it into a book called Starting Today. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the one I would definitely want to close with, if if we run it on time, is because it's similar to an affirmation, and that is stuff happens. Okay. Are you <laughs> going to read that to us? No, no, no. It's it's a it's four chapters. Of, oh. Okay. Yeah, four chapters of of situations and stuff is situations that unleash our focus and faith. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's four chapters. One is called Dealing with Life, and it's actually about my mother's death. Dealing oh. with Parenting, which is uh-huh. actually about coaching. Dealing with Passion, which is about my entrepreneurial um, preference. And Dealing with Change is about my moving from Chicago to where I am now in Charlotte. Uh-huh. But, you know, all of those topics that people can struggle with are right there in that book and to help them. It's a nice little small paperback, easy to read. Yeah, All, these books are incredible, and they were inspired, I'm sure, and they have a wonderful message, and your life has been a wonderful message for everyone. It's so much fun to have you with us on the show. The last time you were on, I asked you 
if you could have dinner with anyone. And <laughs> any more thoughts about who else besides me you'd like to have dinner with? <laughs> yeah, right. Boy, you set a high bar. <laughs> I, love it. I, I certainly, I don't even remember what I said, but I, I hope I said my mother because she's still, that's the one. And, and let me tell you, stuff happens. Uh, one of the, the, the great realizations I got from writing that book, uh, uh-huh. and I dedicated it to her because that first chapter is about my experience with her on her dying bed. Oh. And see, I had such a, uh, I had a pen pal relationship with my mother because when I went away to school, see, take it, wrap the whole show up. When I went away to school, I had to write my mother and my mother had to write me. So since 14, I had been writing my mother, and, and she had been writing me. So we, our relationship was so different, you know, from my other siblings. Not a who's your favorite child type thing, but yeah. I just there was a deeper level when you think about how she had to sit down and write me a letter yeah. as well as read mine. And so uh, I would love to, you know, I found a few. I wish I had known. I yeah. didn't save all of those letters, but I found a good handful of them. And so every couple of years, I give myself a, you know, I just sit and read the letters that I got from my mother. Well, you know, I think that's a great idea for a book. I think you should call it Letters from Mama. <laughs> you know what? I actually wrote Pen Pals. Because I think, you know, wouldn't we all love to sit down and have dinner with our mothers again? Yeah, and and just similar to what you said about the grandmothers with Hey Ugly, parents, adults, hey, why don't you write your child a letter, you know, so that they can have it as a part of your legacy, you know. But, uh, you know, again, we're not thinking about dying. We're understanding that one day we may. And wouldn't that be just a wonderful gift? It would be. It would be to your children and grandchildren. Yes. So now, Sporty, I'm going to say thank you, and we will do this again, believe me, for sure. <laughs> to my dear listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our time together today. We've tried to be informative, and we've tried to inspire you. My upcoming guests will all be eclectic, exciting, energizing, just like Sporty. Next Tuesday live at 2 p.m., I'm looking forward to sharing another guest, James Mace, who will give you advice to help you be successful, too. Be sure to sign on to my website, JanuaryJones.com. Now for my 78-year-old thought of the day. Lately, my tolerance for idiots is extremely low. I used to have some immunity built up. But obviously, when you think about it, there's a new strain of idiots out there these days. <laughs> so for now, thank you for entering the No Wine Zone. And please share our stories and our show with everyone you know. And remember, stop whining. Start smiling right now. And if that doesn't work, then you can just start eating chocolate. Lots and lots of chocolate. Dear listeners, Take care and stay safe until we meet again. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. 
All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.